Stork Talks. Welcome to Stork Talks with Zoe and Tom. The Storks have been a part of life in The Hague for centuries. Have you spotted one yet? Each week, Stork Talks delves into a range of stories, news and anecdotes. And for the next hour, we'll take you under our wings as we discover the city of peace and justice. This is a truly special place to live and we invite you to join us in our weekly podcast, which we will now be producing from our own offices, but we will still produce our podcast and we'd hope that you can listen to it with us each week. Last week, we promised to bring you news on the canal projects. As many of you may well know, the Netherlands is famous for its canals or grachten, as you call them in Dutch. You might have noticed, however, that The Hague is not nearly as well endowed when it comes to canals as other cities, like Amsterdam, Leiden, or even the picturesque town of Delft. Now, why is this, Zoe? Well, yes, Tom. So the history of canals in The Hague is very interesting. Again, I'm no expert, but I have done enough research to know that many of them were closed between 1640, so that is a while back, and 1904. And this was mainly because, unlike today, there were not attractive bodies of water on which one could find houseboats or take a dip on a hot summer day. They were, in fact, used as receptacles for all kinds of waste, not least of which was the sewage system. So, as you can imagine, the idea of closing these smelly waterways was quite attractive to many living in The Hague at the time. Although it would be interested to know how the other Dutch cities avoided the closure of many of their canals, uh, we're going to focus on The Hague. So what's the plan for Grachten Open or the Open the Canals initiative? Well, as you can imagine, this is a hugely popular project, Tom, and it has enjoyed a lot of support from residents and other interested parties right from the start. And I spoke recently with one of the initiators of the project to find out more. Here in Het Oude Centrum of The Hague, and I'm sitting with Shireen Poik. Now, she is a longtime resident of this of this borough of The Hague. She is also um, one of the members of the Residents Association here. And she's also the lady who has helped to spearhead a fascinating project that will affect all of our lives, uh, those of us who live in The Hague, and it is the Canal Open or Grachten Open project. Shireen, thank you for joining us. Hello. <laughs> now, Shireen, we've been chatting for a while and you've just been telling me about this wonderful project. To me, it seems wonderful. I've seen pictures. Uh, there's a, You mentioned that there's a documentary film that's been made. Tell us first what gave you this inspiration to bring back the canals to The Hague? Well, um, I'm living here for a long time now, more than 20 years, and uh, this old center of The Hague uh, has many problems, like prostitution, like uh, we have two major addict centers, and um, that's something we are fighting against for a long time. We try to improve this neighborhood. We, we try to feel people more at home here because also it's a transition neighborhood. People come here, live here, but move away very quickly. And um, so we, we are just a struggling neighborhood. And we feel that city council is not representing us right. And therefore, we made our own vision for the neighborhood how we want to see the neighborhood in 10 years, 20 years. And people come to relax here and come to sit at the canals. And this is how we got the idea of canals, because in our vision, canals, uh, opening the canals 
is very prominent. And after all this struggle and fighting with the city council against prostitution and everything, we thought to have a very nice project. This is how opening the canal project is, was born. Absolutely. I mean, I think all of us appreciate the beauty and the tranquility of a canal, even those of us who don't come from the Netherlands. And indeed, the Netherlands is known for its canals. So I think perhaps many of us, especially if we're not from The Hague, we don't appreciate perhaps how many canals The Hague did once have. I think we know about the Bierkade and we always appreciate the bars and restaurants that line the Bierkade. But there were far, far more than that. Can you just map out for us quite briefly the areas where we might expect to see these reintroduced canals? Well, actually, there are many closed canals. The, the, whole, the whole center of the city are full of them. And you can see it a little bit in the names, like, for instance, Paviljoensgracht, of course, there was a canal, but also names with Kade on the end, or with Burgwal, and even names that don't give you the hint there were canals, like Turfmarkt. One of our people made a historical map, and he drew back all the canals, and there are so many. It's amazing. Now, I mean, this particular area where we're sitting now, as you said, is one of the oldest in The Hague. It was first built in the 1600s. 17th century. Uh, 17th yes. century. So... <laughs> Obviously, there were canals there then, and it does have a very a very rich history. But for those of us who know The Hague a little, if this project were to go ahead, where would we see a canal where we wouldn't see one at the moment? Like, obviously, Paviljoensgracht, mm-hmm. Stille Veerkade, Amsterdamse Veerkade, Gedemtegracht, Spui was a canal. Wow. Yes. <laughs> Lutherse Burgwal, Voldersgracht, Turfmarkt, Herengracht. Fluwele Burgwal, Prinsengracht, Brouwersgracht, many ammunitiehaven. Wow. Will we then be using boats? How will we get to the businesses and the shops around and about? Or will there be small places still left right. for pedestrians, I yes, would imagine? Yes, exactly. But, because but no more cars. We don't go as far as that. Mm. But um, if you see the closed canal streets, they are very wide streets. Because in the old days, there was not not only boats, but there were horses Ah. next to the boat to pull the boat. So um, if you open up canals, mostly in the middle of the street, you have plenty of room left and right, for instance, to have some cars, to Mm. have bikes, uh, pedestrians, but also to have tram left and right. There are many, many possibilities, and we all worked it out in a very big book together with some great partners. There are many ideas how to of course, open them. lots of options. Yes. Of course, it means that you cannot race on the street with cars as before. Well, I'll, I'll not miss that myself. All right. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so this, this sounds very positive, and you mentioned that um, the city council is very interested in this project. Funding would come from a variety of sources if permission were given. How hopeful are you that this will indeed go ahead? And of course, we understand that Corona has not helped matters. Bearing that in mind, how hopeful are you for this project, Shireen? Well, it's a complicated project. And um, it's true that people within city councils, some of them are really very enthusiastic. Others we have to convince 
But most important is that one of the aldermen asked us to make a study for two groups of canals. And he wanted to know how, how much is it to open them up, but also how much we get in return. How much does it give to the city mm. in terms, terms of economic uh, profits, quality of life, quality of life, uh, things like that. Mm. And these two studies we did together with uh, some major uh, companies like MVRDV, an architect bureau, or um, some major engineering companies. And they are now at the city council. But as you said, Corona came, came in between, so now we have to wait. And therefore, we are now in the process of making a movie mm. to put again the attention on this project. idea and this mm. project. Okay, Shireen, so to me, this sounds like an amazing and, and wonderful project. And for others who might feel the same way, how could people learn more? Or if they wanted to become involved, where could they look for information? What should they do? Well, they can al always contact us uh, through our uh, resident association, uh, Het Oude Centrum. Uh, we have a website, mm -hmm. hetoudecentrum.nl. And also via email info at hetoudecentrum.nl. Okay, so we'll share that information also on our um, Instagram and Facebook pages for our listeners. And where could they also look out for this documentary when it arrives? Like We have a Facebook page. It's called Grachten Open in Den Haag. And everybody can go there. We have a lot of um, members already. Also, the documentary as first will be published, released on this Facebook page. Okay. Shireen, thank you so much for joining us on Stalk Talks today. Thank you for having me. Fascinating. I saw a, a trailer of the documentary that you, uh, that you sent me from Shireen, and it really is beautiful it really is picturesque and I, i think it's very difficult to describe like with many things we've mentioned before on the radio but it is true like a picture says a thousand words yes i have to agree i mean i'm a big fan of words tom but this time pictures really help shireen was kind enough to give me a thick glossy hard-covered book produced by an internationally renowned firm of architects Architects, uh, MVRDV is the, the acronym. Uh, and this book is full of the most beautiful photos, old and new, um, of the Hague's canal system as it used to be and versus what we have now. And it also provides plans of which canals might be reintroduced and uh, how this would affect traffic and pedestrianized areas. It's, it's actually quite complex when you, when you yeah, dig into a, it. It's a real study in town planning, uh, what it sounds like. Yes, I think, well, I'm assuming if you're a town planner, this would, would be something of a dream. But in fact, Shireen did mention to me that this project is um, of interest, not just to those living in The Hague, but for cities around the world who are looking at how to better manage and introduce water um, into urban spaces. Yeah, I think, well, as you well know by now, Zoe, the Dutch are leaders when it comes to water management, uh, mainly because we have so much of it here. Uh, but I think that this is knowledge that others can definitely benefit from, especially if we're thinking about creating sustainable cities uh, for the future. Absolutely, Tom. So take a look at our Facebook um, or Instagram pages for more information on this project. Perhaps you're wondering if there are plans to reintroduce a canal where you are or perhaps you simply uh, want to see what the city might look like with more Grachten, it's, it's definitely worth a, a peek.
So normally in our program, right after the stalk of the week, we dive deeper into a conversation and our theme of the month. But because Zoe mentioned earlier in the program that we're with the new restrictions and no longer allowed in the studio, we've chosen a new format. And now the full conversation with the theme of the month of this month of peace and protest can be found on our Facebook page. We hope that with Using this new media, we can invite you to interact with us and that despite us not being able to record it live, you'll still be able to find some new insights every week on Thursday between 8 and 9 on Facebook Live. Stark Talks. Yes, now Tom, last week uh, you were you started to take us on a um, sea, seaside adventure, if you could call it that, and you started to look into the theme of fish, which I is a favorite for me. Um, and I'm very interested to hear on what you have lined up for us this week. Yeah, I have a, a special interview. And one thing that I like is we actually went together to interview this one. You were there with me when we when we managed to uh, do the interview. It's, uh, it's a very picturesque location. I think it fits nicely with what you described earlier of Stork of the Week. Um, the, the topic that we're diving into, of course, is the herring. And uh, we chose a scenic location, which has one of the most famous herring stores here in The Hague, uh, and the location is right outside of the Binnenhof, or uh, the yeah the, the political headquarters closely to the Hofheifer for the people that are uh, that for the people that didn't know. And although the owner was extremely busy with other people, and uh, he uh, you can hear in the back, you can hear the frying pan and the trams driving by. It still was a, a fascinating story to hear a little bit more about how long he's been at this location and everything that he has experienced from the political leaders. How long have you been at this location? At this location, we started at uh, 84, uh, but was, that was around the corner. But we're standing here from this place, it's from 86 we started here. So you were located at one of the most picturesque places here in The Hague. Uh, do you get many politicians and, and those type of people stop by for Herring? Yes, of course. They come every time, uh, every lunch they come back. And they come here for, just for a small talk and also for, for eating, of course. Also the Prime Minister is coming here for, just for a talk because he, does, he doesn't like fish. He only comes here for coffee. <laughs> So. And and does it matter what political party they are, depending on what they order? So certain parties no. like herring, some parties like... Uh... No, no, the only, the only thing I know for sure is that they, only, they always want to receive. <laughs> That's the only thing, but they, they eat everything over here. So so what makes herring special to The Hague and, and to the Netherlands? Yeah, to the Netherlands, is it the real Dutch traditional food? It's, uh, yeah. It's the, the food that we were born with because we are, I'm from the beach, from Scheveningen. And uh, yeah, when you were young, when you were a little baby, you, this is the first thing you get to eat. So that's the reason why I think... Uh, so what is the traditional way to eat herring? Like the, uh, the Dutch the, way? The traditional way is just to grab it by the tail and then keep it high. And then put it in your mouth and then uh, take small bites. And then some onions if you like it. You can dip it in, in onion. So, so what do tourists say when they see people ordering Dutch and in, and uh, eating these types of these types of foods? Yeah, the first time they always have like a face that you think, oh, what, what's that? But um, when I always say when it's like it's Dutch sashimi or something, they say, oh, oh, you know, and then they they're gonna try it, but they really like it. So. so, do you think that they take this with them that they come back afterwards, or is it like I've tried it once and then that's oh, that's plenty? I see some people they came here before about two years ago, three years ago. They, they come back in a, to Holland on vacation and they come back at this place because they liked it. So I think they, they come back for sure. And, and do you have a favorite recipe or a favorite type of fish that, that you like to prepare? I, I prefer the herring. I love herring the most. And I also like the, the fried cod, the kibbling. This is also one of the traditional Dutch food. 
Yeah, it's it's one of the jokes that that's as Dutch people, that's what we're known for: fried food and herring. Like the, but but you genuinely like herring is one of your your favorite ones to to order and to to have at home. Yeah, 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 yeah. herring, of course, for sure. And do, do you have a recipe for the listeners for the people that they can prepare at home? I don't think they want to try to prepare this at home because it's difficult, Joe, and it makes a lot of mess. So you're going to buy it at our place and then you take it home and have a good day. <laughs> so indeed, if people want to buy it at your place, is where can they find that information or where should they go? They can Google Harenkraan Buitenhof. That we stand at Buitenhof. So if you fill that in, we are first that you're going to see at Google. <laughs> Easy to find in a very picturesque location. I want to thank you so much for joining me. No problem, of course. Well, Tom, I mean... I was there, as you know, um, but I think we were both intrigued by his comments on the Prime Minister and the fact that he is not a fish fan, which I think there is a certain amount of irony there because being Prime Minister of the Netherlands and not being a fan of fish, <laughs> I don't know if he'll ever live it down. I don't think so. Um, and I, I think what's interesting is the more we explore some of these different locations, the more we find out what the Prime Minister does like. Because we heard from one of the previous months when we spoke to the vegetarian Satoko that he was one of the first customers there. So now we know he doesn't like fish, but we do know he likes some vegetarian food. So the more the more restaurants we explore, the more we find out what it is he likes. We're building up a picture of of Margaret's culinary preferences. Well, you know that's one one of the many things we do here. But um, but apart from that, uh, as you know, Tom, you were you were there. Um, did also make a short video of. Uh, of your interview just because as you said it's such a picturesque location and uh, there were some people even in the background uh, chomping on some herring just before we started so if you'd have like to have a little look at that um, that's on our on our Instagram page um, and I think there are still a few other little fun facts that you're going to share with us about herring because I think there's quite a long history to it here in the Netherlands. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, well, the the interview, because like I said, is he was very busy and he was just uh, enthusiastically slicing herring. I thought that it might be nice to give you a little bit of background as to sort of the tradition of herring and uh, especially for what does herring mean to Dutch people. So I've prepared a list of about three, four little fun facts about herring. And and one of the ones is the, the famous one between May and July, which is called Hollandse Nieuwe or uh, the Dutch new ones. And that's the, the sort of the culinary icon of herring. And it's that specific period where some of the first herring is caught. And then the first barrel of that herring is often given to uh, government officials, sometimes to embassies. And it's also sold and usually for quite a decent amount of money, which is then donated to, to charity. Yes. So I've heard. Absolutely. And one thing that is interesting about the Dutch herring compared to uh, other regions, because there's many regions that eat herring, but the Dutch pepper preparation method is a bit different. So what they do is they uh, take the herring and they gut the herring um, in such a way that the uh, pancreas, the pancreas stays sort of intact. And then the enzymes from the pancreas preserve it, which means that you don't really need a lot of salt. Because normally fish is preserved in a lot of salt and that's why sort of it's transported back. But because the Dutch do it in a little bit of a different way with these pancreas, it gives a lot more flavor and it's not as salty as some of the other herring varieties that are out there. That's interesting. So in that way, it might even be healthier than, than the very salted varieties. Yeah, and that brings that that you say it's healthier. That brings me very nicely into uh, a, a little fun fact, and I think uh, um, historians might be debating on this after this session. But basically, there are some historians that argue that herring uh, not only played a role in in the Dutch history. The Dutch and the herring go back more than a thousand years, 
but um, some even contribute the consumption of herring to some of it, the, the Dutch colonial success because because it was a big part of the meals the, uh, and the health benefits of it. So the, the protein, the omega, fatty acids and, and those type of things that it was very good for the people who spend a lot of time at sea. They were healthy. Uh, and there's a saying about this, uh, which is called um, Amsterdam was built on herring bones. Yes, I mean, you did mention this to me not so long ago, Tom, and I have to say it was the first time I'd heard that particular theory, and I did have a small a small chuckle, <laughs> but I, I'm not saying that it has no merit. I just I just found it quite funny. To be honest, I think it's uh, it's a nice story to tell, and I think that of course it's difficult to contribute one specific type of food to an entire colonial success or whatever, because there's of course a, a large number of factors that play the role. But I do think that uh, it gives it's it's a nice story to tell. That if the next time you are eating herring with an international friend at one of the locations here in the Hague, then it's it might be worth bringing this up. I'll be prepared. I'm Tom. And I'm Zoe. And thank you for stalking with us this evening. Next week on Stalk Talks, we'll focus on part of the Brexit campaign for some time now. She hails originally from Scotland and she's been working for those living here in the Netherlands on their post-Brexit rights. And as you can imagine, that is a source of some concern, especially given the fact that a hard Brexit cannot be ruled out just yet. We also continue our focus on peace and protest. We speak with one of the visiting activists who is here in the Netherlands as part of the Shelter City projects. Press freedom, LGBT rights and human rights and more generally are all on the agenda. This session will happen live on our Facebook page uh, next Thursday at 8 p.m. Absolutely, Tom. So please remember to check our Instagram and Facebook pages for more information on any aspect of this podcast or, or anything else. Additionally, remember to check out our complete Stalk Talks Facebook live segment on our Facebook page or through the link on the show notes of the podcast. Thank you, listener, for stalking with us this evening, uh, especially after some of the new restrictions. Please tune in again next week for more fun, frolics, and some interesting pieces of news right here in the city of peace and justice.